showdown on Mount Carmel. First Kings chapter 18, we are going there today and I would love to take credit for aligning all the things that are taking place on the channel this week with what's going on at Asbury College and uh, what's going on across our nation really when it comes to the droppings, the, the drippings, if you will, of spiritual awakening and revival around our country. I can't take credit for it. Maybe God is in it. No, no, no. God is in it. And today we discuss the signs that you need a revival and the seeds to plant one. So welcome in to the deep dive. It is where we talk about the Kings of Compromise. We're going through the books of first and second Kings. It is part 17. I am your humble host, Tim Hatch here on the Tim Hatch Live channel. If you are here for the first time, would you hit that subscribe button, that notification bell, that like button, give us a like, help the algorithm, spread the word. Let's get into it. Kings of Compromise. So I was in Israel in 2018, and uh, this here is a picture, if you will, of where I went to learn about Mount Carmel. That's at the top of the mountain, it overlooks the Jezreel Valley, which is discussed throughout the uh, Old Testament. That, that statue there is a statue of Elijah, or what they perceive him to look like back in those days. And there's some Hebrew writings there. I think it comes from the text in 1 Kings 18. There is a garden. There's a lot of altars and prayer areas in that area. Uh, this is the Jezreel Valley that you look out on from the top of Mount Carmel. And it was a, a powerful time in my life to behold that when we study these texts in First and Second Kings, we are not studying fables. We are not studying you know, ancient ideas of what happened amongst the gods, like Greek mythology. We're, we're studying things that took place in real places. And it's a good reminder for us today that where God moved powerfully in the past, he can move powerfully in our present. And I want to tell you that personally, but I also want to talk to you about this corporately and globally as the church. We need a move of God, friends. Yesterday on the deep end, we talked about the move of God at, I said Asbury College, I think it's Asbury University. What's happening there in Wilmore, Kentucky? I'm hearing reports that the Holy Spirit is moving in other college campuses. Praise God for that. Man, we need it. The young people especially need it. And then again, I'd like to take credit that we all aligned all these you know, times. I, I've been going through the text of 1 Kings, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I, I did not plan this. But here we are in 1 Kings chapter 18, where there's a showdown on the top of Mount Carmel between one prophet of God, Elijah, the 450 prophets of Baal, and one God sends the fire, and a great national revival takes place. No, it's not the end of the battle for truth in Israel's history, but it is definitely a high point for God's movement in the lives of his people when they most desperately needed it. So here's the deal. If you need a move of God today in your life, you could get one. How do you do it? If you need a move of God in your church's life, your church could get one. How do you do it? If, you, if we need, and I, do, I know we need this, if we need a move of God in our national life, we can get one. But how do we get one? 1 Kings chapter 18 gives us a picture of how God moved in the past. And hopefully it's the plantings of seeds in our lives that will see God move again in our present. I'm praying for it more now than ever before, as I hear the reports of what's going on now. And I pray for our hearts and our, our, our souls that we will hunger for this as well, where we are. Good, could God 
Spare America. I believe he can. I believe he will. Let's go through the text. Okay, so revival is in the air. First Kings chapter 18. One of the most dramatic revivals in Israel's history happens in this chapter. It centers again on a showdown between one prophet, Elijah, and the false prophets of Baal. And with that in mind, let's pray and we'll get into the text. Father, lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. And I pray that through this conversation, you will birth in us a hunger for the move of God, for your Holy Spirit to change us and challenge us to seek you, to go after you, so that your Holy Spirit will fall once again on our lives, on our communities, and our churches, and most importantly, Father, on our nation and this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, to the text then. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in uh, Samaria. Okay, where are we at? If you remember, 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, under the auspices of Israel's northern kingdom, Israel's most wicked king Ahab, who married Jezebel, and Jezebel was not just uh, partnering with false deities and false gods. She was replacing the worship of Yahweh with the worship of false gods and false deities, the Baals of her native kingdom of Sidon and uh, to the north. And so Elijah uh, declares there's going to be a national drought. He prays that there will be no rain, that God would send judgment upon God's people. Uh, he flees up to the north into the te- uh, area of Sidon uh, to Zarephath, first to the brook Cherith, then to Zarephath to a widow. He cares for that widow. Uh, We talked about that last week, the cutting seasons of life, how God cuts us away from the world. And I think about this, that Elijah experiences what we need to experience as God's people. Uh, He experienced a personal cutting, a personal sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in his life as God cut him away from, depending on natural resources, cutting him away from his own people, getting him alone with God uh, to do great things. And then he comes back to the nation three years now later to declare, time's up. The Lord's going to send rain, and the, and the Lord speaks. The Lord's word, notice it says that the, the Lord spoke to Elijah. It wasn't Elijah saying, okay, now I've decided that rain's going to come. No, God's word calls the shots. So Ahab might be on the throne, but God's word is in charge. Ladies and gentlemen, President Joe Biden might be in the White House, but God is in charge. And I, I don't know if you're needing that word right now as much as I am, but I, I need it. When I, when I watch our president basically caring for other nations more than our own, I need that word now more than ever. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It matters that Jesus is on the throne. And we aren't to petition our national leaders nearly as much as we should be petitioning our, our global cosmic God to move on our behalf. And I want to say that revival is necessary when it's darkest in the land. When, 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 we, when we see a spiritual drought, and a spiritual uh, destitution, if you will, in our world. It's not a sign for us to throw up our hands and give up. No, it's, our, it's a sign for us to get on our knees and seek God. God, cut away from us the things of this world so that we can go back into this world and affect change through spiritual awakening and revival. Amen? I'm fired up. I hope you are as well as we continue looking at this text. Uh, let's go into verse 3. Here's what it says, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord, and notice what it says about him. He feared the Lord greatly. 
And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So there's a couple of players here in this showdown in Mount Carmel and in chapter 18 of 1 Kings that we need to get familiar with. We already know about Ahab. He's married to Jezebel. But now the text introduces us out of nowhere to another servant of the Lord, Obadiah. Uh, Obadiah is literally, that's what he is. His name means servant of the Lord. Isn't that incredible? And he is over the household of Ahab. So as wicked as Ahab is, you have um, a God-fearing man and a a greatly fearing, God-fearing man uh, named Obadiah serving under his house and over his house. Can I just say this? There's always an Obadiah. I think about, you know, in, in all the histories of the world where you see godless leaders never, never discount the fact that God is someone that has his ear right there before the king, has the ear of the king. Somebody serving under the leadership of the person who looks like they're in charge, who actually seeks the Lord. What does Obadiah do? It says that he hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and he fed them with bread and water. By the way, a little, little hint there of what Jesus will do when he comes and he feeds the, uh, the, 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 the 5,000 in John 6. He divides them up by groups of 50. Interesting little parallel there to the, North, to the New Testament. Uh, excuse me, if you hear my voice is a little bit scratchy and I am a little bit out of it because I am under the weather, but I'm surviving. And thank you for those of you who prayed for me from last night. I already feel your, the effect of your prayers today. I feel much better, but thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for me. Healing is coming. Amen. So you've got a wicked king, but you've got people in the right places and, and God does have them. But Obadiah is also a symbol for something else. I think that Obadiah is a symbol of sleepy Christians uh, in the culture. There's always sleepy Christians that are resident in the culture. They're not speaking up. They're kind of afraid, but they're still serving the Lord. And they're making some quiet moves under the auspices of wicked kings to sustain God's people. And that is who Obadiah represents. Let's go on. Verse five, it says this. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys, perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. And Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. Okay, so a couple of things that's funny about this text. Number one, Jezebel has Ahab doing the work of finding grass and feed for the animals. Kind of funny to see this woman dominating her husband, who was the king. But that's what weak men do. Weak spiritual men let their wives dominate them. Now, I am not in favor of men dominating women. No, men should sacrifice and serve women as the weaker vessel, but ultimately they should serve by leading them and feeding them in the truth of God. But weak men don't do that. They let their women, their wives, dominate them, lead them, uh, push them. And, and, and what we need now more than ever is not more Ahabs, we need more Elijahs, strong men who will lead and feed their families. And, 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 and Ahab is just, just a spineless wimp going around the land looking for, he's the king and he's looking for food for the animals. And then Obadiah, he goes one way and, and Obadiah goes the other. And notice that it says that when Elijah shows up, he calls um, Ahab Obadiah's Lord, right? What, what does he say? 
It is like, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here. So, so here we have a two-pronged picture of Obadiah. As much as Obadiah fears the Lord greatly and he's hiding the Lord's prophets, he's also serving Ahab and he's pretty much doing what Ahab says no matter what. This is a picture of most of American Christians right now. They are asleep at the wheel. They are, are serving, they fear the Lord, but they're doing what Ahab wants. They're listening to the, to the kings of this culture. They're serving them. And, and I think about, he's been assigned by Ahab to go and find what? Find some grass. Man, it's, it's a drought. Yeah, Obadiah, you should be praying for rain, but you're searching for grass. See, Christians, right now, you're, you're living through a time of, of paganism. You see the signs of the age. You see the times in which we live. You see the, the godlessness on the rise. The last thing we should be doing is listening to what this world thinks we should be looking for and seeking the power of the Most High God. We should be on our knees. We should be praying and seeking God to move in our land. We don't need the, the ideas of our culture. We don't need the, the, the programs of, our, of, our, of, of the powerful people in higher institutions in, in academia or in uh, media or in secular news organizations. What we need is to seek the God of heaven. And so Obadiahs are abounding. Yes, they're there. And they're serving the Lord. And I thank God for Obadiah. But they're sleeping Christians who need to be awoken to the reality that the fire of God can come in and change the culture in a moment. And that's what this chapter introduces us to. Let's continue in verse 9 of the chapter. It says this, and he said, How have I sinned? Look at Obadiah's response here. How have I sinned that you would give your servant to the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no mention or nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent me to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, uh, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Though I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Okay, Ahab, uh, Obadiah, who do you serve here? Seriously, because... On one hand, you say you serve the Lord and you fear him. But on the other hand, when, as soon as Elijah shows up and tells you to, to tell Ahab that he's here, you're scared for your life. And this is exactly where the American church is. The American church is caught between two great fears. The fear of what God will do and the fear of what this world will do. And you can't serve both fears. You can't be straddled the fence. In some ways, Obadiah reflects the cultural Christianity of our age right now. Straddling the fence. And you're, and you're going to see God, that theme of straddling the fence repeated in this text. But we've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop straddling the fence. Are we going to go with the medical community that has basically lied to us over the last three years? Or are we going to go with the word of the Lord? Some of you got to challenge your hearts about that. I'm not saying totally disregard medicine, totally disregard your doctor. But man, it's been co-opted by the secularization of this age. All you got to do is go to the, the medical clinics, the medical universities, the universities, hospitals, and see what flags they have hanging. See what flags they have flying in the lobbies of America's hospitals today. What flags are they? They're the pride flags. And in many respects, more often than not, they're those flags than the American flag, than the medical symbols of, of our history. And, and, and you've got to take and wake up to this reality that our culture has been completely brainwashed to disregard all things godly 
and turn to the things of this age for their answers. And Obadiah represents that kind of Christianity. And it's a Christianity that doesn't make, it, it, it can sustain the church. It can provide basic essentials for the church so that it doesn't die, but it can't awaken the church. And, and so I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an Obadiah in this picture. I thank God that they're there, but I want to be an, an Elijah. I want to instigate revival. I want to see God move us beyond just surviving to thriving in our day. Uh, so Obadiah is not done talking to Elijah. He says this, has it not been told, verse 13, has it not been told what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred of the men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Again, these are just bare essentials, just surviving. And he says, and now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah here, is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. Now, Obadiah's fears are overblown because as soon as he tells Ahab, his Lord, that Elijah's here, Elijah's, Ahab's like, okay, let me go meet him. So sometimes Christians, the things that we fear, the anxieties that we let in are irrational. They're just things that we have set up in our heads. Oh, if I stand for Christ, they're going to kill me. Oh, if I stand for Christ, they're going to fire me. Really? Stand for Christ. For, why don't you speak up? Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll actually listen to you. I, I've got people in my church now saying that to me on a regular basis. I was scared at the PTA meeting. I was scared at my school committee meeting. And I spoke up. And you know what? I found some people of like mind with me. Man, we need to do this. This is not a time for us to shrink back in fear. This is time for us to step up in faith. And I just think of Obadiah, again, a symbol of the sleepy Christians right now. <clears throat> you let your fears get the better of you. You let this world shape you. And, and the church, yes, you're serving the church, but it's just barely surviving on bread and water. God does not want his church surviving. He wants his church thriving. Let's continue in verse 17. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it not you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. You and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Okay, so I've talked a lot about Obadiah. He represents sleepy Christians. Let me talk about Ahab. Ahab represents the outright carnal Christian. I know he's the leader. He's the king, but he's also a picture of a lot of church people. And here's, here's why I know that. Carnal Christians... They are Christians in name only. They go to church, but they don't serve. They don't give. They don't do anything. In fact, they're just filled with complaints. <laughs> and they often serve the people of this world far better than they serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and they're married to this world. They're, 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 elite, they're part of God's people, but they're married to the spirit of this age. And that is who Ahab is. Carnal, cultural Christians. Did you know that Ahab, King Ahab had two sons? He named one Ahaziah and the other one Jehoram. These were biblical names. Ahaziah means owned by Jeho Jehovah and Jehoram means Jehovah is exalted. So Ahab, as godless as he is and as married to Jezebel as he is and as pagan as he is, he actually has a lot of spiritual life still in him, but it's just name only stuff. He's, he's naming his kids the right things, but he's not leading them in the right way. He's married to the spirit of this age, his age, 
And uh, he's supposed to be leading God's people, but he's following the pagan ways around them. He's become this world's slave. So many people in the church are like this. They're sitting in pews today. They're sitting in church chairs today, listening to the preaching, but it's not changing their hearts. It's not, it's not reforming their ways. This is why we need revival. We need revival because we need Ahab's to wake up and Obadiah's to speak up. We need Obadiah's to stop straddling the fence, stop letting the fears of this world dictate their lives. And we need Ahab's to repent and wake up and stop marrying this age and get right with God and seek to serve and please him. Amen. I was thinking about the fact that Ahab says here to Ahab, uh, to, to, to Elijah, what does he call him? He calls him troubler of Israel. Isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> Isn't it kind of funny that Ahab has the audacity to name Elijah a troubler? You're bringing trouble. Why? Because Elijah prophesied the, the, uh, the, the drought. Here's, here's a thought that I had come to me as a result of this text. Uh, it's going to be in times of great paganism, where following the Lord will seem like breaking the quote-unquote law or the cultural codes of community. When a nation abandons God, those who stand for God will be considered outcasts. Okay, when sin abounds in a culture, those who speak truth will be considered a problem for that culture. That's me. I'm a problem for this culture. My videos get taken down off of social media all the time. My video about anxiety got taken down. Why? Why, why, why would they take that one down? Because it, that message that God could heal you, God could heal you of that problem is a problem for those who have been hooked, line and sinker, sold into the messages of this world. And I get it. There are people. Yes, you've got chemical imbalances, but cannot God heal chemical imbalances? And I understand sometimes he doesn't. He still has to take the pills. I get it. But there's a, there's a power of God that we are speaking to, that too many Christians, they are friends of the world, and you're a friend of the world in all kinds of areas in your life, and you don't even like to be challenged like this. Right now, I'm troubling you. I'm troubling you right now because you're married to the spirit of this age. Hey, James chapter four, what does James say? You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity, is, is hostility with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And... Uh, we need to speak up, we need to speak loud, and we need to speak truth into this culture, even when they don't like it, because that is what God has called us to do. Anyway, verse 20, Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Verse 21, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping? This is a key phrase in this text. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? The word opinion here means branch, or it's the Hebrew word for branch. So limping. The word limping is passage. We also get Passover from it. So you think about this going from branch to branch. It's like jumping between the trees. It's like um, I see when I walk my dogs along, along the path, there's squirrels jumping between the trees. This is the image of cultural Christianity. This is the image of people who are wed to this world. You're, you're jumping. Oh, church on Sunday. Yes, yay, Jesus. But Monday, back to work, back to the pagan ways, back to stealing, lying, deceiving, living, godless lies back to swearing and cursing just like the world just like the world and and i love what adrian rogers said about this text i love what he said he said the biggest fool is not the man who says there is no god the biggest fool who is the man who says there is a god and then he doesn't serve him Ooh, that's powerful that is a powerful uh commentary on this text 
Friends, it's no time to limp. If we're going to experience revival, we need to wake up and remember that the Lord is God. Now, verse 22, I want to share something about this verse, but let me read it. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. On the surface of this text, can I ask you what the problem is? What's the problem? Just back up a few verses earlier when Obadiah says, I've hidden a hundred prophets. And let's talk about Obadiah being one of the Lord's servants. So you got 101, at least 101 others, Elijah, who have still not fully bowed the knee to Baal. They're not bowing the knee to Baal at all. They're actually in hiding. You're not the only one. And you've been told you're not the only one. Okay? And then there's this, then there's this reality that... Um, uh, in the next chapter, God's going to tell Elijah, I got 7,000 people that I've reserved for myself. So, so, so God always has a remnant. You're not the only one. Now, the reason why I want to bear down on this text for a moment is because on the way up into this revival moment, there are some seeds of, of some selfishness some self-centeredness in Elijah that, that we've got to watch out for. Feeling like we're, it's all up to us. Feeling like we're the only ones. Feeling like we're all alone. Because that's what's going to send Elijah running in the next chapter, but we'll save that for next week, right? But we've got to be careful about that. God doesn't use just one person. He uses, he uses the global church. He uses many people, average, ordinary people. He uses the Obadiahs, the people who need to, to, to uh, speak up. He uses the Elijahs, the people who are spoken up. And, and he will speak to and stir up the Ahabs of our culture as the Holy Spirit moves. Anyway, let's go on to the procedure of the showdown. Verse 23, let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I'll call upon the name of my God and the one who, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord, sorry. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Now, when I was in Israel, they gave us some contextual background to this text, which was tremendously illuminating. And they actually showed us <laughs> they actually showed us some remains of what they were talking about. Under the pagan religions on these high mountains where they would put these high places, they would have the altar where they would make the fire appear magically. Here's how they would do it. They would have trenches dug and they would put oil, uh, kerosene, if you are, or whatever, oil, lighting fluid along these trenches and they would light them further away and then the, the, the fire would spread and then appear uh, in, the, uh, in the altar and so it was actually a magician's trick. And they showed us while we were on the top of Mount Carmel, they, Carmel, they showed us the trenches that were dug and the stones that outlined, that lined those trenches where they would do this little magic trick of fire starting from one place and then appearing on the altar. And that's how they deceived the people. Now, this is why Elijah has the showdown be fire from heaven and not fire from the earth because they could have just, they could have just uh, done their trick and, and, and uh, misled the people again. But Elijah wants no tricks. You light no fire to it. I'm not going to light no fire to it. We're going to ask for fire to come down from heaven, not up from the earth. Powerful thing here, contextually speaking, about this text. Let's go on. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, verse 25, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered, and they limped. There it is again. They limped, same word, Peshach. They limped around the altar that they had made. And what does it say? And at noon, I love this, Elijah mocked them. 
Now, let me just pause here for a second. I've been talking about this. In a culture of absurdity, mocking might be necessary. And Christian leaders might need to mock the absurdity of the, of the culture. I, I really do think like we, we need to step up our game here. This gender confusion is absurd. The, these ideas about climate alarmism is absurd. Even the mask stuff, this new report that just came out, um, this Cochrane report on the masks, they did nothing. And it's been absurd. Like, I just kind of want to tell Christians, anybody ever tells you or makes fun of you for believing in God ever again, you just tell them, you believe, you're making, making fun of me for believing in God, you believe in masks. I mean, how absurd. Seriously, enough with placating this nonsense in our culture. Now, <laughs> I'm not asking you to go and offend people. <laughs> please, 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 be, uh, please be diligent in discernment here. You don't want to just go and offend people for the sake of offending people. But let's not go along with things, this absurdity, and not say anything. Elijah sees them literally limping. And look what he does. He says, cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. That's literally going to the bathroom. <laughs> or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Look at this. They're bleeding. <coughs> Excuse me. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. The repeated phrase there. No voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Notice the self-inflicted wounds. What a picture of idolatry. Here's the thing about false gods. They demand more and more of you. False gods of culture drain you. They suck the life out of you. What gods of our culture do this? Fame, getting likes, follows, social media popularity, getting approval by your peers, uh, keeping up with the Joneses in your neighborhood, maybe fortune, getting and having more just to keep and have more for yourself, pleasure, sex, pornography, hookup culture. These things literally drain your health. They drain your mental health. They destroy your well-being. All the evidence is out there that these things that the, this world teaches us to chase. For heaven's sake, they even saw. You know, it's funny. You know, it's funny is the people who spent the 90s and early 2000s convincing us to chase this stuff are waking up in this decade saying we need to get back to this. I was watching Bill Maher real time on Friday night and he was talking about how men need to stop watching porn. Well, you're the one that was pro proclaiming porn was great two decades ago. Men need to stop um, with, the, with the swipe right, swipe left stuff. Well, you're the one that embraced that stuff. I mean, it's amazing to see the the the, the progenitors of these things, the promoters of these false gods two decades ago now talking about, we need to stop this stuff here because they see what? The, the false gods of culture drain us dry. Let me ask you a question. And this is an important question. Are you wearing yourself out for something or someone other than God? Are you drain, is your blood being poured out figuratively here? Maybe, maybe physically, Fib figuratively or physically for something or someone other than God. Why are our teens so miserable? Social media smartphones, sucking the life out of them. Why are they so anxious? Endless news cycles, telling them the world's gonna end tomorrow. Why are we so addicted to pacifying cravings, food, drugs, sex, because we need a peace in our heart that these gods cannot give. We'll pour ourselves out on these things, on these attachments to this world. 
Here, here's the wonderful truth that the Lord gave me while I studied this. Every other God demands your blood. Only the one true God shed his blood for you. You, you have to ask yourself on the pursuits that you are pursuing right now, is this draining me or is this filling me? Only one God can fill you. Every other God drains you. Only one God can satisfy you and pour into you. Every other God demands and takes from you. And that's what we see here on Mount Carmel. The false God and the false prophets are being drained for their, and they're getting nothing in return. Let's go on in the text. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to the, all the people, come near to me. It's his turn now. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. Look at these seeds of revival. First, he repairs the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He took 12 stones. That's important because his heart getting back to Joshua and the crossing of the Jordan. He took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the, about the altar as, the, as great as would contain two sheaves of seed. This is a huge altar. I, I'm sorry. This is a huge offering. And he put the wood in the order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And he did it a third time. And the water ran ab- around the altar and filled the trench also with water. What is Elijah doing? Ooh, he's, he's sowing the seeds for revival, but he's doing a couple things too strategically. He wants to make it absolutely clear that this is no... Um, cleverness. This is no trick of man. This is not scheming. This is not uh, a sleight of hand. God is going to do this. And then he's bringing them back. He's bringing them back to their, to their uh, founding. In Joshua chapter four, the people cross uh, the Jordan river and, and Jordan sa- and Joshua says, uh, t- take 12 stones from the middle of the b- sea riverbed and, and, and bring them with you and set them up. Set them up and, and, and mark the place where the priests uh, stood in the midst of the Jordan. And uh, there was an altar placed there saying that this is the name by which we pass over. This is the name by which we accomplish uh, taking this land. The name of the Lord our God, not our name. Oh, by the way, he's also bringing back unity, right? The nation is divided and he sets up 12 stones. Remember, there's 10, 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. He's taken all 12. He's bringing unity back. How is the church going to experience revival? Unity, coming back together, going back to the name of the Lord our God and getting back to the foundation of our faith. We accomplish this in the name of Jesus, not our name, not the name of some big celebrity. That's, that's again what I love about the Asbury University revival. No big celebrity, no big band, no big name leading it. It's just the, the name of Jesus, people seeking him and seeking his glory. God, do that again in our day. Amen, somebody. Uh, Okay, let's go on and we got to continue here to verse. Oh, I just just realized something here. If you guys will be patient with me, we're going to have to go to the Lagos camp for verse 36. And uh, it won't be a bad deal. Actually, it'll be a pretty darn good deal. So let's go to Lagos here and take a look at it. Verse 36, and at the time of the oblation, Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. What a powerful prayer that Elijah makes to the Lord here. And let's just study it for a moment. First off, 
He calls on the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he, 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 the God of Israel. He wants them to remember their roots. When you're, when you're needing the Lord, go, go back to the Lord. Go back to where you found him. Where did you, where did you find Christ? Get back to there. How did I come to Christ? How did, I, how did I receive him when I realized that he was all that I needed? Put away the things that you've allowed to cloud the name of the Lord in your life. Put away the things that you've allowed to, to, to cause you to, to, to lean on those things rather than just the name of Jesus Christ. And then it says this, let it be known that you are God. Our, our prayer for revival must be for his glory, not ours. Father, move in our day that people might know you, not us. It's not about us, about you, Father. And then he says this, that I've done all these things according to your word. Another testimony to God's move um, in, in, in Elijah's generation is that he went back to the word. He trusted in, the God, in God's word and God's word alone. It was about trusting and, and following the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to experience revival, we've got to get back to the word of God. Maybe today is a day for you to get back into reading daily the word of the Lord in your own life, seeking him. The word of the Lord purifies us. It's a light. It's, it's water. It washes us. It clarifies things for us. It brings purity to our lives. Seeking the word of the Lord in our lives will do that in our hearts and prepare us for revival. And then it says this, the last thing, uh, that, that, that this people might know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you, look at this last line, you have turned their hearts back. How does revival come? When God moves on our hearts. It's not manipulated. It's not the work of man. It's not the work of a great leader. It's God's work bringing revival to our spirits. And that's what we want. Amen? That's what I want. Anyway, moving on. We can get back to the Bible on the, on the text now. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the false, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Okay, Elijah, first off, it says they cry out, the Lord, he is God. Remember, that is Elijah's name. The Lord is God. So they are hook, line, and sinker sold on the God of Elijah being their God again. And then notice that Elijah doesn't let the false prophet get away with it. He slaughters them. That's what's going to happen to every false teacher. Every misleading leader of God's people, they're going to be slaughtered. They're going to be great judgment fire on these people. And that's exactly what Elijah exhibits here in this text. Okay, moving on, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there's the sound of the rushing rain rushing of rain. So now the drought is about to come to an end. There's first, and, and notice the order of events here. There's um, ordering the altar, calling on the name, seeking the fire of God, and then there's the rain. That is an important order because that is the order by which I believe revival happens. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But Elijah tells Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the town of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and he said to his servant go up now and look toward the sea and he went up and looked and said there is nothing and he said go again seven times now what you have here is what james references in james chapter 5 
that he talks about Elijah's prayer. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And then he prayed again and, and the Lord sent rain. And he talks about how the prayer of a righteous man avails much or has great power as is working. That's James 5, 16. So <clears throat> the picture, again, Elijah bows with his face between his knees. And I was telling my church about this a few months ago that that's like a, a woman in the posture of giving birth. You know, that's what, that's what powerful prayer is. Powerful prayer is when you strain yourself and you're, it's almost like something's birthed inside, something's conceived inside of you, but you got to push it out in prayer. You got to give birth to it. That's what prayer is. Prayer is like giving birth to things that God has birthed in your life. And I wonder who's got a hunger for God right now in your life. Who needs a hunger for God right now? Who right now God is conceiving in your spirit a desire for revival? And it's time to pray, time to get on your face, time to put your face between your knees and cry out to God sincerely. Lord, send the rain in our generation. Amen. And he says, it says he, 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 he tells his servant, go and look for the clouds. There's nothing. He doesn't give up seven times. Imagine fourth time, he's like, this is kind of embarrassing asking my servant to go look for rain and I keep getting nothing. No, he doesn't give up seven times. He keeps praying. Some of you got to keep praying because you've given up way too easy for God to birth something new in your life, for God to heal something in your life, for God to bring revival into your life. Keep praying even when you're not seeing. Verse 44, and at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a, like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Sometimes it's just a, just a small little sign. That's all we need, just a small little sign. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. That's how confident Ahab, uh, Elijah is in his prayers and in God's response to his prayers. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hands of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That's how the chapter ends. Amazing chapter. Ahab is thoroughly embarrassed. Elijah is thoroughly confirmed as the Lord's prophet. There's a sweeping revival in the nation. The people turn back to the Lord. Baal is shamed for what he is, a draining false God that sucks the life out of you. And Yahweh is once again proven the only God who can shower your life with blessings. I think about the prophet Hosea who said these words, kind of a pattern for how revival should fall amongst God's people. In Hosea chapter six, verse one, come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. I don't know about you, but I want God to do that in my life. I want God to do that in my church. Has he torn us? Yes. Our culture and our country is torn apart. Even the church in many respects is torn apart. He has struck us down, but he will bind us up. It's not over. God can bring revival. Friends, I did not strategically schedule 1 Kings 18 for this week. No, I didn't. God sovereignly scheduled this, this chapter for our study on the deep dive today. So with that in mind, let's talk about the need for revival and the seed for revival in our tapping into truth. Okay. 
six signs that we need revival. Okay, number one, an obvious one, a national spiritual decline. That's what we're seeing right now. That was Israel's condition. That's our America's condition. That's the church's condition. Look, let me make something really clear. It's not going to be when our when Hollywood gets reformed, when Washington, D.C. gets reformed, when Harvard and Yale and Princeton get reformed. That's not what's going to do it. It's when the church gets reformed. I am not concerned nearly as much about Hollywood's decline as the church's decline. The church needs renewal. The church needs revival. The church needs reformation. And that will change the nation. Do not look to God changing the presidency, look to God changing the spiritual vibrancy of his people. Number two, uh, we need for revival. We know we need revival when believers in name only are in powerful positions. Ahab, this guy who gave godly names to his sons, but was married to the spirit of this age and was a pushover to a dominating pagan wife. Ahabs are abounding in our, in our culture right now. They're everywhere. These are guys who will not lead their families. These are guys who will not pray over their children, pray over their marriages, pray over their own lives, turn away from the addictions of this world and give their lives wholly over to God. Some of you guys, you go to church. We have altar time at the end of the church. Go up, show your wives you're serious about God. Show your wives you love the Lord Jesus. Lead, gentlemen, lead your family. Don't be a believer in name only. Seek God. Number three, silenced and hiding saints in high places. Those are the Obadiahs in our world. When we have saints, <clears throat> excuse me, serving in business and education, and they're not stepping up and speaking up, it's time for the church to do that. Number four, fence-straddling church goers. These are people limping between the opinions of this world and the opinions of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. You got to stop straddling. Some of you Christians are on the fence right now. You dip your toes into the pool, but you don't jump in. And you wonder why your kids aren't interested. You wonder why your, your life is filled with anxiety, worry, and stresses. Because you're just dipping your toes into it. You just, you just want to kind of like a, a little weekly reminder that God's still there. But you're not all in. It's time to go all in with God. And stop straddling with the opinions of this world and the truth of God's word. Number five, uh, overwhelmingly outnumbered followers of the Lord. Elijah is one on 450 in this showdown. I mean, I know there was the other prophets, but he's the only one speaking up. And it seems like that sometimes for, for God's people. I look at the landscape of, of pastors in America. There are not many pastors uh, preaching truth and preaching fire and preaching repentance. There's just not many. It's really discouraging. And sometimes as preachers, it can feel like we're the only one. We're not the only one. God always has many. But they're far outnumbered. This is why we know we need revival. And then number six, and this is, mo this is the most important one, a culture of self-inflicted wounds, both spiritual and physical, because of the pagan worship of false gods and false deities who suck the life out of us. That's when you know your nation needs revival. So tapping into truth part two, let's talk about the seeds for revival. What can we do to plant seeds for revival in our generation. Number one is very simple. And there's only three. Prayer. 
What does James chapter 5, 17, 18 says? say? It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He prayed, and he kept on praying. I want us to start praying for revival. I want us to join with the Asbury University and the other places of this country right now. I hear reports out of Lee University and other Christian college campuses where God's spirit is being poured out. Man, let's pray that that fire spreads to the churches and to the leaders and to the, to, to the, the most well-known Christian leader and the least uh, known Christian leader, that the fire of God will spread like all over this country in the churches and in the Christian college campuses that God's spirit might be poured out on us one more time. If we can, and and what does James use Elijah as an example to challenge us to pray? Because he says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He was just like ours. He he wasn't supernatural. He was just like God. He was just like you. And God listened to him because he prayed fervently. Don't give up. If you're praying for revival in your own personal life, praying for your husband to get saved, praying for your spouse to get saved, praying for your kid to get saved, don't give up. Three years he prayed. He had to pray all three to see God move, and God did move. Number two is repentance. If we're going to see God move in revival, we, the church, need to repent. I think about what God says, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. If you go to Acts chapter 19, when Paul is in Ephesus, uh, it says that they repented of their works. They repented of their works. And notice what it says, that they... uh, They, those who had practiced magic arts, this is Acts chapter 19, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came, came to be 50,000 pieces of silver. This is the church in Ephesus that Jesus is rebuking for not doing that anymore. They weren't getting rid of their false gods anymore. He says, go back to that. Repent, get rid of that junk that you've allowed to sneak into your life. Hey, have you ever moved? <laughs> I've moved a few times in the last few years and I realized something about your house. Junk accumulates. Uh, Your house gets stuffed with garbage that you don't need. And it's like, man, where did that come from? Why did I let that in? Why did I store that? Throw that out. Man, in your spiritual life too, junk accumulates. In your spiritual life, junk comes in and you just put a place in it and you're giving yourself to all these things that are useless endeavors. You got to get rid of that stuff and seek God and get and burn burn it up. Don't don't get caught up in all these worldly ventures. They're not helpful for you. And then number 3, the purifying fire of God. If we're going to see revival, we need prayer, repentance, and and then we need God to purify our hearts. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist says, "I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit and fire," he says. And then what happens on the day of Pentecost? Tongues as a fire come and dwell uh, and rested on each one of the members of the upper room prayer, prayer meeting. This is how God moves. Fire precedes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the church. And I, I just think about the promises of scripture again and again and again, calling out to God. He will act. He will respond. But it starts with us. It starts with the church. 
Acts chapter 3, 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing, look at those words, love that. That times of refreshing may come, come, come where? Come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. I want times of refreshing. The church needs to be refreshed once again. How will it happen when we pray, when we repent, and we get purified by the Holy Spirit? And then the fire is going to fall and the nation is going to turn. I really believe it. No, not everybody. Not everybody, because wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it. But there will be a great harvest. I believe there will be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a great number of people will come to the Lord Jesus Christ and churches will be filled again. Those that are preaching the gospel will be filled again. And who knows if we don't put Drag Queen Story Hour out of business? Who knows if we don't put uh, online pornography out of business? Who knows if we don't put um, uh, secular industries out of business? Uh, anxiety medication out of business. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? That we see God pour out his spirit and the Lord does a restoring work to this nation. He has not given up on us and the revival winds are stirring. Here's my last question. God is stirring the wind of revival. Will you pray? God is stirring the wind of revival. I, we see it. We hear about it. These are, this is a wonderful time. Let's get on board and let's pray. I'm asking you to pray. And would you, would you do that with me right now as we close out this episode? Father, I ask for every person listening to me or watching me right now that the Holy Spirit will stir something in all of us. The wind of revival will come. We will return to you. We will repent. We will seek you. We will get rid of the false gods that drain us. And we will stop wavering between the opinion of the world and the truth of the word. And we will get back to Jesus. Get back to his name. Get on our knees. Pray for our children. Pray for our homes. Pray for our lives. Pray for our holiness, righteousness. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit that the fire of God will fall on us from heaven once again. Awaken us, Lord, as your church. We seek not Washington. We seek not Hollywood. We seek not the university system of our culture. We seek you. Move, Lord, in Jesus' name and bring revival. Father, may we feel it on Sunday morning when we gather in worship. May we feel it in our small groups, our life groups, when we gather in small community. May we feel it even in our own personal devotional time. Awaken us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to bring this content to you. If you want to support the channel, you know how to do it. I don't have to beg you. Thank you for being a supporter. I love you. And I pray God's greatest blessings be upon you. If you could share this content, like it, subscribe to the channel. That is also appreciated. May God continue to stir the winds of revival, not just in Asbury, but all over the country, and especially in your church, and especially in your heart. Take care. God bless. Oh, 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 oh